Hello, East Glenville Community Church. This is Jessica Munn and Pastor Mitch with So, I have a question. Uh, this is episode nine and we're hitting two Sundays this week. So we're talking about uh, the sermon from November 14th and November 21st. And uh, with this conversation, we're going to wrap up our series on uh, conflict revolution, resolution. Um, so without further ado, we can dive in. Um, yeah, so, so do you have a question? I do. <laughs> okay, so uh, on the 14th, you hit on, or the main passage we focused on was in Acts chapter six, and it was really a conflict that happened in the church, in the early church about uh, bread and widows. And um, I feel like, so obviously we talked a lot about conflict and you talked a lot about conflict in this passage, but I feel like also there's a lot in this passage that we as the church can learn about just like how to love minority groups well. And like, mm. it just reminded me of uh, one of the things I've heard a lot of times just from our culture is people being like representation matters, especially in leadership. Um, so I was just wondering your, your thoughts on that too. Hmm. Um, interesting. Yeah. The, the idea that um, I think learning to listen to one another and recognize when there's subgroups in the church. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, trying not to, I mean, on both sides, trying not to break up into subgroups in the church, mm -hmm. like recognizing we are part of the one body, especially within a congregation that, that we don't just say, well, they're in that group, so they don't care what I'm saying. So I think the first part is we, we even just got to analyze our attitude on this. Mm. And uh, I think sometimes fostering the whole representation matters actually overemphasizes the breaking into groups versus the whole idea that we are one in Christ. I, I think that's why in Galatians, Paul says, therefore, in Christ, there's no Greek or Jew, male nor female, slave nor free, because he doesn't want us breaking into subgroups and fighting for our representation. Um, but that doesn't absolve us of the responsibility, especially as leaders, to make sure we listen. And if we note a pattern about people, mm. like all the you know, all the people who speak Greek versus Hebrew are feeling left out. Right. Then we got to talk about that and try to make sure that we're not breaking into subgroups, that we are united. And so in one way, having all the leaders, the deacons being elected coming out of that subgroup mm -hmm. um, actually helped bring them into the church more right. and would help unite them i think rather than further divide i i, I do think the church has to be very careful because i i was in a denomination that was very much on representation and and when they did voting for delegates that you'd have to ask you know you couldn't be voted in if you were um, um you know that between male and female and people of different colors and ethnicities and every single background and it just felt rigid and mm. more divisive to me than inclusive in even though their goal was inclusivity um 
the other thing that comes to mind when you just brought that up is is listening between church groups. And so I remember being mm-hmm. in a seminary class um, is more of a uh, post-seminary. It was a, a pastor's training thing that was pretty much equally between black and white pastors. And there were some urban guys and there was one of our cultural conflicts that came up on that. And there was different perspectives based on race there. And this is very uncomfortable. I didn't, I didn't like the uncomfortableness of it, but I think it gave opportunity. Okay. We can hear, they have a perspective on this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even want to bring up the issue because I don't want to get sidetracked into, <laughs> you know, that, but it's, it's similar to the same stuff that comes up in the news now. And so the important thing I think is trying not to divide along subgroups. Um, at the same time, making sure people are listening. Is it? Is there anything you'd add to that, or am I missing something on that? No, I think I think that makes sense because I think I think obviously when you like the idea that representation matters. Like, if you have somebody, if you have two people who are in leadership who are, have different backgrounds, right? Then they're both going to bring their different perspective, and it's just it see it seems to be more natural than that they'll make sure that they cover and like, you know, have eyes on all the minority groups and stuff as well type of thing. Right. Um, but it, I like your point that you can't just do that. Like the, it can't just be there. It has to also be like, we have to do put in the work and do well at, yeah. at just loving each other and being able to have those sorts of difficult, uncomfortable conversations and still love each other through it and yeah. um, be willing to learn. Right. And the thing I was thinking with the specific one in Acts 6, where they call it the, the Hebrews and the Hellenistes. The, mm-hmm. So it'd be the Hebrew speakers, those who grew up as Hebrew as their main language, who grew up within Israel. Um, most of them would have been Galileans, because that's you know where Jesus drew his initial followers. And then you have these people who would have, the Hellenistes, who probably grew up as Greek as their main language. Mm-hmm maybe they know Hebrew and would have learned that, but they would have learned that like going to school later. Um, They might've even learned it in other ways. So there's a language issue. There's also, it's like, like the difference between those who grow up going to church Mm -hmm. and those who grow up um, who come to faith later. Sometimes there's different perspectives. Um, You would have had that, like you grew up more involved in the Greek culture versus you grew up you know, talking bad about the Greek, Greek mindset, like, so you have to get past some of that. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you just imagine all that? And then those who were followers from the beginning, right. Who followed Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem versus those who met Christ at the Pentecost because they were traveling from their city and to worship. And yeah, so yeah, I, I, I find it that that particular passage fascinating mm-hmm. to think how much more was going on. Oh yeah, and yet it's so it's so simple of a argument, which is why it's or conflict because obviously, well, okay, I guess I shouldn't say obviously, but my assumption is that when the issue was brought up to the leadership, no one was like, oh well, you know what? Did the Hellenistic Jews really need bread? Like, come on, right. 
And so like- so, so Jessica, would you be on team Hellenist on that? Is that, is that right to say that you would be the favor of the Greek widows? I, I would, yeah, I, I'm one of those people where it's like, if you need an arm, I will cut mine off and hand it to you. <laughs> so I would, I would be one of those, uh, like, oh, wait, they're not getting bread. Like here, have all of my bread. Like why, yeah. why guys, why is this an issue? Like, we just need to make sure they get bread. Like this really shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> yeah. So what would be the other side of that though? What would be. Yeah. I think the, what, would, what would they say? I think it wouldn't be, I think which I'm pretty sure this is what you were saying that Sunday too, but like, I doubt they were like, well, no, like, I don't care. It was more of a, like, I do care, but like, I physically can't do it. Uh -huh. Like, like I, I care that I want to make sure you guys get bread and clearly something here is off, but like, I can't add another thing to my plate. Yeah. Um, and I, I, and maybe even a sense of unfairness. Yeah. Cause I'll, I'll take team Hebrew just because I, I know what it means to feel this. It's like, I'm doing the best I can. You can't ask me to do one more thing. It's that's unfair for me, for me to be responsible for that as well as everything else. Yeah. And I'm sure that's what Peter and the apostles were feeling. It's like, um, I mean, their solution works. Their solution makes complete sense. Right. But the, the whole, oh, I'm exhausted, you know, don't ask me to do this. I, yeah. Yeah. I can see the point of Team Hebrew is what I'm. Oh yeah, I mean, being a leader, I can get it too. But yeah, <laughs> I probably would have started on Hellenist first. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, the other factor is it was a crazy time in the life of the church. Mm -hmm. I think people look at Acts four and the harmony and how they shared their possessions and like, oh, that's some ideal time. And and it it was an ideal time. But it's not necessarily what the church is called to always be. These were people who were living away from their normal homes. Mm -hmm. It's like a, it's like being at a camp together, mm -hmm. an extended summer camp trip that lasts months, if not maybe even years, where they were staying in Jerusalem because they felt like God was doing something so important. They couldn't go back to their home cities. Mm -hmm. And... um you know, so, so this, and the only reason they could keep doing is people would sell property so that they could buy this bread and who knows where they were sleeping. Like did, were there a couple people from Jerusalem with big enough homes that you just sort of stayed there? Like how is, is it would have felt like a summer camp or a mission trip type thing. Yeah. And, um, but it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so then you, after kind of diving into this passage a bit, you talk about this idea of position versus interest mm -hmm. um, and how like position is like the point we're making. And often when we like hold on to our position really tightly, we dig our heels in, um, whereas behind every position is an interest and listening for the interest um, can help us figure out how to resolve a conflict. Um, and if I may, I'd like to, I think I have a very good example of where we are really bad at looking for the interest and really good at digging in our position. Um, and I think, yes, bring it. yeah, so I think that's like politics, yeah. especially in our culture. 
um, where it's just people just constantly butting heads and not actually talking about the interests and why and like having fruitful conversations in that sense. Yeah, that, that's definitely a component of the divisiveness of, of politics. Um, that sometimes the interests are the same or at least in the same ball, like both groups could agree that we need to alleviate poverty. Mm-hmm. That'd be a good way, you know, like we, we wanna help people who are poor, but their positions might be completely opposite depending on what they see as the best way to help those who are poor. Right. So in some ways that's, if, if you could dig down to interest, you, you can make progress though if you disagree and you can't come to an agreement on what's the best way that's when you're going to have political disagreements right that are naturally there yeah because man we think it's better if the poor are encouraged to and help to get a job no we think we we need to do just do more support for the poor and you know so that right you're right that there's a different um listening to one another would still be helpful Mm-hmm. and trying to find those ways and, it, and, I not, think, and not just name calling against the other side right and it would I think it would at least like I believe and here I guess is another question so is it possible to like understand and ins- and respect someone's interest without fully agreeing to it right like if I take the time to understand your interest and like you, you could even have the same interest I can still I can still disagree with your position and how you want to um wait yeah i mean especially outside the body of christ especially in the world um interests are going to be competing as well Mm -hmm. this does not solve every problem in the body of christ our ultimate interest should be aligned in that our ultimate interest is to bring glory to god Mm -hmm. and so because of Christ, our interests are aligned in a way that could lead. Now, we still have different thinking on like the best way to glorify God would be this or the best way to glorify God would be this. And, and that's why Paul would say, you know, learn to have the same mind. Mm. And that's where, so I think this is actually more effective within the church Mm-hmm. because we have that natural alignment of interests that happens through through the, the Christ. And then we have the spirit that can help help lead us to the same mind that is in Christ. Um, doesn't always get there, but we have a potential that I think in the political world, they don't. They're yeah. just going to fight and vote and have winners and losers. No, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I, the, the other point I wanted to make and out of this is that resolving the issue is, is not enough. Hmm. You can resolve the issue and still have resentment. Right. And the need for forgiveness, which do you think is tougher, um, resolving the issue or working through the resentment and and coming to forgive the other side? I think for me, it depends on the conflict. Um, 
because so if it's a conflict like like what was in Act Six, right? The the issue resolving through the issue um, like didn't seem that hard. Uh-huh. Well, uh, okay, their solution makes tons of sense, and yes. there was a very clear cut solution that I think was reasonable and everybody could easily get on board. They had a win win solution. Right, exactly. Um, and so I think, I think for like a situation like that, both the solution and like, you know, there might be a little bit of hurt feelings just because I'm sure that, you know, as you ex- kind of brought to life in your sermon, like, you know, there's probably a lot of things being said back and forth of yeah. like, you know, um, that could have left a little bit of a sting. Uh, I think though it's harder when, especially if it's like somebody sins against you and like hurts you type of thing. I feel like there it's a lot harder kind of on both sides, but especially with dealing with the resentment um, uh-huh. because there's emotional hurt that you have to work through. Um, and you, and it's easy when you remember it, the, like if the situation comes back to mind or you find yourself in a similar situation, the emotions can easily come back. Yeah. So. Yeah. I can certainly imagine. I mean, you think of a, criminal case like mm-hmm. you know they may have hurt you and the issue will be resolved that they'll go to trial and face judgment but the resentment may stay stay in your heart right and um i can also imagine where you say i you know that's what you see people do they forgive someone for killing their son child or whatever and like that that's very difficult but that doesn't you know, they still, the person may still face the, the issue of the, you know, the, the prison time or whatever. It doesn't necessarily right. absolve them of the prison time, but um, yeah, I think I agree that the, the working through the resentment potentially is harder. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned in, in, in our conversation before is that, that you had, you had, we're familiar with that Corey Tendum quote. Yeah. I, what sticks out to you about that? And um, how does that illustrate like the ideas of forgiveness? Yeah. So the, uh, what stood out to, or yeah, what sticks out to me and what I really like about that example. Um, and now from your sermon, I have words for it. Um, yeah. So the, the difference between the dispositional, dispositional forgiveness, um, which is that uh, the decision in our heart to forgive versus the transactional forgiveness, um, which is actually like kind of living it out and working it through with the other person and the relationship right. in, side of it. In case someone doesn't remember what Corey Tinboom said, what how did what she yeah. her situation explain those two components? Yeah, so she so she, her and her sister were um, at one of Ravensbrook. The, yeah, Ravensbrook uh, concentration camp, and. Uh, after the war, she would go around and talk about um, forgiving and how to reconcile and, you know, things like that. And at one of the events she was at, she met a guard who was actually one of the guards um, Mm -hmm. that brutally, you know, treated the prisoners and specifically her sister who ended up dying in the camp. And, uh, uh, And so she knew him immediately and it turns out that after the war, he had become a Christian and was asking her for her forgiveness type of thing, not no, not realizing that she knew exactly who he was. 
right um, after she had given a message about forgiveness. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because God loves doing ironic things like that. Yeah, he does. Um, yeah. And so what I love about her from her point of view, she was like, I like at first she was like, I couldn't like I could not forgive this man. Like I just like when I saw him, I saw him in that like in that situation in the prison camp and like how he treated everyone. And uh, and so then she finally was like, God, I like I need you to help me forgive him. Mm. Um, and though and so then it talks about how like uh, she eventually like kind of reached out her hand and as she, as they shook hands as her way of forgiving him type of thing and like trying to rebuild that relationship, uh, she felt God give her all the warmth and love for this man that mm. he had for her. Um, and so for me, like what I really like about it is just like it shows so clearly how forgiveness starts first with a decision. And for Corey, it wasn't even a decision to forgive him. It was really her first choice was the decision to ask God for help forgiving him. Mm. Um, like, God, I know this is what you want me to do. I need help. That was really her first right. step. Um, but it also kind of shows that forgiveness is something that us as humans um, will always struggle with and can't fully do to the extent God does on our own and that we need the Holy Spirit to help. Yeah. And I would suggest there was a decision even before that is that she had decided she would be one who forgives. True. Yes. Right. She, so it came to an issue again when she saw that man, the guard, but she had already decided she will forgive. Mm -hmm. And in the moment her heart started to betray her <laughs> and that that'll happen. It's like, our hearts are fickle in that sense. And yeah. so the, the, and she had to remind herself in addition to turning to God for help, mm -hmm. I, I forgive. Yep. I've chosen to forgive. Yeah. Lord Jesus, help me forgive. Um, I think of the, the guy is about belief, but like Jesus, I do believe help me with my unbelief. Yep. It's like, we're making a inner choice of our soul that will set the direction. Sometimes we need help to bring our heart, our emotional component mm -hmm. along with where we've, we've decided in our inner being, we're going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so speaking of the dispositional forgiveness, so is that always a one-time thing or like, yeah, it, I'll just leave it there. Is that always a one-time thing? Well, I think in a, some way we make a decision to do it, but we're going to need reminded of that decision. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't know if you could decide to forgive and then go back on that decision and then have to re-decide. It's possible, <laughs> you know, but I think mainly it is you decide to forgive and then you're going to have to come back to that later and just remind yourself because you're going to start to slip on that mm. in your heart attitude and maybe your actions and say, no, I have forgiven this. Okay. So that, that's how I would see it. Um, that makes sense. But that might look like having to forgive more than once, but. Right. But it's the, it, it's the choosing to continue the commitment. Or like, as right. you had said, the continuing those promises 
yeah. of what it means to forgive type of thing. And even theologically, what I would say is, is God offers you a deal is all your sins will be forgiven if you are willing to forgive those of others. Mm. And so even before you've thought about the specific injustice you're having to forgive, by saying yes to Jesus, you've kind of already committed yourself to forgiving. <laughs> oh, that's sneaky. <laughs> yeah, it's just, and I think that's what Jesus keeps saying. For you know, if you don't forgive your sins, your father will not forgive you because it's the deal, mm -hmm. right? I will forgive you everything you've done, but you got to extend that forgiveness to others. And if you want to sign on, that's the cost. Um, so, but how it works itself out is messier. Yep. Yeah. What were the promises to forgive? Yeah. So the, the first one was, I will not dwell on this incident. Okay. Second, I will not bring this up and use it against you. Third, I will not talk to others about this incident. Or four, I will not allow this to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Are those helpful in thinking through how to forgive and even whether you've really forgiven? I think so. Um, although I did have, okay, so I did have a, a clarifying question. Um, and I guess it's mostly around kind of the last two about not talking about the incident or like, um, yeah, I guess mostly that third one. And so like, sometimes I feel like it's inevitable. Like we have to sometimes bring up past conflicts. Um, and I, like, it could be like, you know, if my, if there's a conflict that broke trust and there's like kind of a, a mutual-ish friend who's like, wait, I've seen that you guys, are, there seems to be a little tension between you guys. Like, did something happen? And it's like, I'm not gonna say no, but I'm assuming that like, I can, I can live out like the heart aspect of the, like not talking about the incident. Like I can, I can be like, oh, well we had a, we, we had encountered a conflict over X and be right. super brief about it and like we work through it but we're just rebuilding trust like so I'm assuming that's okay and it all depends on the heart intent behind why you're doing this. yes I, I I would agree with that that I mean I think about it I I'm bring, been bringing up conflicts throughout this whole series that I've been in and yep. hopefully I've kind of worked you know forgiven um, um but I think if you're bringing it up to use it to criticize or attack again mm. as a weapon to, to hurt them, or you find yourself looking for reasons to bring it up, like if you really want to bring it up and tell others about it, then then that's that's when it's a problem. Mm -hmm. If it's because you know the issue's still alive and you gotta you know work it through or you know, if you're explaining to someone a past thing, I think it's even then the way you do it. Are you being fair to the other person and how you describe it? Mm -hmm. um, I, I even thought about that with the, the opening illustration I used for the one service about the Thelma, not mm -hmm. a real name, of course, who, who wanted to have the women's memorial just be for the women and not for men. And that was a conflict. And yep. 
and I, I wanted I tried to make sure I presented her side in fairness mm -hmm. that she had a reason for that and um anyways that that that's I think it's how you present it also matters mm -hmm. if you're talking about it yeah yeah um so have you been listening to the Mars Hill podcast I I had started it right before you mentioned we had we've talked about it before off okay. the recording and so I I started it um and I'm partway through it uh, I think I'm I know that like the next session I have to listen to is supposedly a doozy and so I'm like waiting <laughs> okay there's a couple doozies yeah. yeah um I mean for me I I think I started it more back when the weather was nicer and I was doing my long bike rides. Yep. And you know, it, it would, it's like, it helped the ride go. I would get so absorbed. It's it. And I'm trying to watch my own heart. Like, are you just interested? Is it almost like you're <laughs> so interested in this other thing, but I think they're, again, they're trying to be fair with how they share things, but they're letting people share the stories where they've been just, they were blasted. And yeah. And I think it's just compelling to, to take that in. Um, but I think it illustrates the, the possibility that you can teach about grace mm -hmm. and not really live out grace and forgiveness in a practical way. Um, yeah. how, how do you, as a younger person, do you see that happening in the church? And you know, where grace is a big emphasis, but we don't always apply it well. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the, the most obvious one is especially places like politics. Like okay. the way that Christians have engaged in politics in the past couple of years, I think has a lot of younger people being like, what What are you doing? Like, just-, just Right. Um, but I think also that like, uh, especially in, uh, some of the more, I guess, like fundamentalist evangelical kind of circles where like, you know, a, they're big, one of their big emphasis is on like sound theology and like good doctrine and stuff. Um, but yet they like, you know, don't take things like um, sexual assault or stuff like ser seriously. And to me, like that, that just like, well, wait, where like, are you even, do you care more about the theology or about the people? Like, where is the grace here mm. um, to actually like care and protect the vulnerable? So Right. And I think it's a good warning sign that you, we can get, I don't know if it's caring about the theology as much as the outward success or mm. outward, you know, you, you want to protect the organization. Right. Versus the people. Right. Like in Mars Hill, where it's like, well, we don't want to, we don't want to say bad things about the head pastor because like, look at all the great stuff God is doing type of yeah. thing, that sort of excuse. And that same dynamic was very much true in the, I mean, you, both Catholic churches and then more, you know, hearing a lot more about Protestant churches that, oh, well, we, you know, you, you can't attack, you know, the pastor who's doing well, like you're going to damage god's reputation if you deal with it and right that's when you sweep it under the rug um okay yeah i i think i think there's something to that um 
I, I'm trying to think of outside of the political battles mm -hmm. where it happens. And you, you gave some good examples. Um, I'd say just from a pastoral perspective, it is hard. How, how do you know when to stand firm and, and send a clear message mm -hmm. versus how do you show grace to those who disagree with you and navigating that, um, I think is, is a difficult tension. Um, and that's what it means to learn together mm -hmm. how to follow Jesus and how to love God and love others, you know, in the right way. Um, I also think grace, the Dietrich Bonhoeffer mm -hmm. um, had a book called Discipleship. And he talked about cheap grace. Mm. And for him, it was grace offered as a principle, but, but basically that didn't demand anything, that didn't draw people to actually love God more. It was just an excuse for doing whatever they wanted to do anyways. Right. So um, I think grace can be misused in that way, as well as just by ignoring it when you, you know, are pursuing your own agenda. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that like grace in relationships is a lot harder to like kind of pinpoint and bring out too. Yeah. Uh, because like, you know, if, if somebody sins against you, like, oh, it's obvious the gracious thing to do would be well for yourself and for them would be to forgive and reconcile and like, you know, right. give them uh give acknowledge the fact that they're not perfect and allow right. space for mistakes um but when it's like more like one-on-one -on -one relationships trying to figure out like you know i don't know sometimes i feel like it's just harder that way okay so looking overall at the the series because I, I do sort of want to wind this up uh, yep. as far as the, the the whole series, not just the last two messages. What would you say were some of the things that stuck out to you? Yeah, I think for me, um, I think the biggest one and kind of the this big summary that I'm going to like just uh, kind of keep in mind whenever I encounter and deal with people is that like God really cares about how we treat one another. Um, and it makes sense that Jesus and John, uh, I think it's 13, is like, you know, people will know that you're my disciples by how you love one another. Um, yeah. And to me, I'm like, yeah, I can, like, it makes sense that, like, the biggest command is to love God and love your neighbor. And it, Jesus makes it very clear. And I think especially as we've been talking throughout this whole series that, like, you know, um, he, he cares about how we treat each other. So I think right. that's definitely going to be one of my main takeaways. And I think the other one is going to be that, um, that it is messy um, dealing with conflict and yeah. you know, uh, choosing to not run, fight, you know, not fight or flight, but take, you know, the higher ground type of thing um, is a lot more work, but it's worth it. And yeah. so putting in the effort to try to work through the messiness and not just ignore it or to not just you know, blow up, uh, is worth it. Yeah. So I still think that chart where you said the fight or flight, the attack or escape responses yep. is helpful because it, it lets me know there are different directions you can go wrong. Mm -hmm. I think you 
if you just say, well, we just need to do more of this, then you actually could go wrong on the other direction. Yep. You know, um, so that, that, that component was always helpful for me. And um, yeah, I, I've, I've appreciated getting into the subject. And for me, having the material, the peacemakers, mm-hmm. I've sort of added some of my theology, the theological pinnings behind it that, you know, yeah. Uh, but a lot of the practical stuff is, is drawn from their, their chapters. And I think that that was an interesting combo to, yeah. Um, I thought it would be easier to do because I had all the material. It turns out it's not because I <laughs> had to really rework it and make it my own. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. Is there other stuff we should talk about? I think that just... is all the questions I had. So, okay. <laughs> what time are we at? How are we uh, going too long? I have no idea, actually. Okay. I think we're probably close to 30 something minutes, but um, um, just to give a preview. So for, for December, um, really starting uh, this next Sunday in Advent, uh, we're going to do God's salvation plan. I'm calling it the grand miracle being the grand miracle is what C.S. Lewis talked about. God becoming a human being, Jesus Mm -hmm. coming as a baby. Um, But it's this idea, how does that, what, what was God doing? How is it, how does that fit into his salvation project? Mm. And so through one people, that salvation came through the Jewish people, through one woman, um, the incarnation that God chose to come as a baby. And then through one man, or through one savior, I think, is how did Jesus sort of fix things? um, as, as a, as a savior. And so anyways, I'm excited about that. It's, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. There you go. All right. Well, as always, thank you, Pastor Mitch. And uh, talk to everybody soon. Thanks. See y'all.